0: You're listening to the Leadership Upside Podcast. I'm your host, Chuck Carringer. On this podcast, we discuss what successful leaders are doing, and saying, and thinking. Now let's dive in. Our guest today is Sue Creenan. Sue is a consultant and life adventure coach. Previously, she worked in the energy industry for Shell Oil Products, Marathon, and ExxonMobil in positions such as regional director, general manager, global business improvement leader, operations manager, technical manager, maintenance manager. In addition, she has served on numerous nonprofit boards of directors. Sue, welcome to Leadership Upside.
1: Thank you, Chuck. It's great to be here.
0: Sue, before we discuss uh, leadership, and there's a lot that I'm looking forward to discussing uh, today with you and your work as a consultant and life adventure coach, you just tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Sure. I'm from Michigan, and I'm a chemical engineer. Uh, My partner, Ron, and I, we live in Washington State now. Uh, I came out here for a position uh, with Shell and stayed because it's a beautiful area here. Lots of friends. Um, Ron and I have seven kids and three daughters-in-law, six grandkids and one on the way. So we have a wonderful family uh, that supports us. I love to hike and snowshoe. We have beautiful mountains out here. I've been on the United Way board of directors for thir- uh, 16 years here in my community. And I'm also uh, in the Soroptimist, which is a women's service club. So I keep myself a little bit busy. I've uh, uh, ba- basically left the oil industry about five years ago and do some um, consulting work. Uh, not too much to interfere with all the other things I like to do. I also like to do some coaching for people to, to help them find their way.
0: Well, we're going to talk about your coaching and, and, uh, the, the, uh, the term life adventure coach is new to me, and I'm and I, and I'm pretty familiar with the coaching space, and so I'm looking forward to hearing uh, more about that. But let's pause for a moment uh, and talk about Washington State. So one of my life goals is to visit all 50 states. My wife, Emily, and I, we love to travel, and we want to we see the entire United States, and Washington State remains one of the places we've not yet visited uh, tell us a little bit about the region you live in. You said you love being outside. Give us a picture of what it might be, what it's like in Washington.
1: So in Washington, I live on the west coast, about forty miles from the Canadian border, and we're the green side. We're the side that all the water from the Pacific Ocean comes up and hits the mountains, the North Cascade Mountains and rains so we tell everybody that it rains a lot but it doesn't really we just <laughs> want to keep people away it's very green and lush and lovely um the mountains we have a lot of snow so there's a lot of snow skiing and snowboarding and uh snowshoeing activities um and then in the on the other side on the east side of the mountains that they don't get as much rain so in the summertime it's drier and and um you know a little bit warmer but washington is just we have the water we have the mountains we have just all kinds of beautiful things up here. We have a tulip festival every uh, April. We're a Dutch heritage kind of community, and we have millions of tulips, and everybody comes to see them, and it's a lot of fun.
0: So, Sue, if somebody were going to visit in your region, what's the, the nearest large city that someone might fly into? Seattle. Okay, so you'd fly into Seattle, and how far are you from Seattle?
1: About 80 miles north.
0: Okay. Fantastic. Sounds like a beautiful place. And yeah, look I
1: lo- me up when you come out here. <laughs> yeah,
0: you got it. And I, 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 I love the idea of uh, the ability to be uh, outside so much and, and just enjoy, uh, you know, the beauty um, of nature. And, and I think that's super cool. Um, so you've served in leadership roles in some of the best known companies in the energy industry. What was that like?
1: Oh, great question, Chuck. I started in 1979 after I graduated from college. And um, what I've seen over the years is a lot of mergers, acquisitions, divestitures of the oil company. So you might start working for one company and then it gets bought by another company. And it really does change the culture a lot of times. I was in a situation where I'd been with Mobile Oil for um, 20 years and had a very good career path laid out uh, by the senior executives. They were preparing me to be a refinery manager and a potential vice president exxon came in and bought the company brought in a whole different culture no you know you weren't allowed to be innovative i said i think and they said we're paying you to execute not think and i I just i couldn't figure out why i didn't fit with this company anymore but it's because the culture had changed so dramatically so then i went and uh and did some other things uh was a refinery manager for a smaller company um, being a woman in this oil industry was uh, very challenging as well. Many times you'd walk into the room, uh, you know, 20, 30 years ago, and you'd be the only woman in the whole room. And, uh, you know, I, I never really looked. You know, concern was so concerned about it. I figured that my work and the way that I treated people and being respectful—that that's what people would remember about me. So um, I still live in the community where I was the refinery manager for Shell here in Anacortes Washington, and I see people that I used to work with. And I never said people worked for me. I always said I worked with people, and they—they they still uh, had had very kind words for me as their manager and uh, and I really appreciate uh, that that I made an impact on their lives, hopefully in a positive way.
0: So so you mentioned two or three uh, aspects there that I want I want to uh, dig into a bit more. Let's pause around the mergers and acquisitions and the impact to culture. You know, in today's business world, uh, particularly with with uh, larger companies, uh, it's not unusual for an acquisition. Uh, to take place. And, you know, it appears that the acquiring company uh, has the, uh, you know, it, it's their prerogative to set the culture. Uh, this is how we operate. We've acquired you. Um, you've been through a few of those. What advice would you give to someone whose company has recently been acquired?
1: I like to go back to your values as an individual. If your values are coincide with the new company's values, chances are that it'll be okay and you can continue to work there. But if your values don't, Uh, coincide with those values, that's called dissonance. And it's going to be uncomfortable. And that's what happened to me is my values very much. I was entrepreneurial, innovative. I really loved, you know, recognizing people and Exxon came in and they didn't care about people. It was all about the company. And so our values clashed. So I had to make a choice. I could either stay and be uncomfortable and not fulfilled as a person, or I could leave. And so then I ended up leaving and had a very wonderful career. It's always that kind of, you know, is it, is it the right time to leave? And I think when you really put it down at your base values and find that your values don't, don't, um, you know, intertwine, then that's the way that you could say, yeah, I, I don't really belong here. Um, hopefully the values do, and you have a good career, but you have to listen to your, to your inner voice if, if you feel dissonance.
0: So I'm going to take that one step further. And if I step over the line here, just push me back. Um, do you happen to recall when you were processing through, Hey, I don't believe that this is going to be the right spot for me. My, my own values aren't in alignment with what I'm perceiving or recognizing, observing to be the corporate values now. Um, financially speaking, were you, all, were you at a place personally where you could step and, and with some risk and be okay? Or was that a huge risk and you just went for it because you couldn't, you couldn't stay there?
1: Uh, I had three children. I was divorced. I was a single mom. It was a big risk. But I was confident in my capabilities of what I could do. And I knew that there was something better out there for me. And I couldn't live with what how I was feeling and how I was being treated. And so I was willing to take that risk. And it turned out great. So, yeah, I, you know, sometimes you have to do that. Sometimes you have to get out of your comfort zone and trust that your capabilities will prevail and you'll find the right, uh, the right path for you.
0: Well, right on, Sue. And I really appreciate you sharing that. And that one segment may be the piece that somebody who's listening to this pod- podcast needed to hear today because, um, you know, there, there is a risk uh, you know, it worked out for you and you bet on yourself. You said, Hey, I've got the capabilities. I'm going to be fine. But there wasn't a guarantee. And you, when, when we step away from something, we're leaving uh certainty. And, you know, uh, even though you were not happy with the, with the culture, uh, you were providing, uh, for your, for your family. So I really appreciate you sharing that personal, uh, aspect of that. I want to uh, take one more piece that you mentioned, and that is being the only female in uh, that. In, in Oftentimes you'd walk in a room and there'd be 30 people and you'd be the one uh, female leader around the table. Um, I'm going to ask you a similar question. What advice would you give to a female who is finding themselves today in a space where Uh, They might be the only or one of a few women in their industry or in their company, and they wish it were different. Um, What advice would you give them?
1: That's another great question. Um, I think the best advice I could give is to be yourself. You are going to be different than the men, the way that you think, the way that you react, It's okay. It's part of the diversity of what really makes a better organization. And so don't be another man. Don't be man-like. Be yourself. Be as capable as you can be. Be as open. Um, Ask questions. Learn. You know, I I never really looked at myself as the only woman. I looked at myself as an engineer, as a leader. And the way that I handled things, yes, was different than others, but I think I was more effective, frankly. And I think that people saw the way that I handled things and the leadership that I provided as far better than many of the others around me. And so, you know, a lot of times it feels like we have to be better than everybody just to be considered equal. But in fact, if we're better, we're better. And that's okay.
0: Awesome. Thank you, Sue. And Uh, That may be the other reason uh, that someone was listening uh, to this podcast today. So fantastic. Sue, you state on your resume that the key to a profitable business is to provide an environment for every employee to be challenged and allowed to contribute to their maximum capabilities. I love that. Let's unpack that thought a moment. What goes into providing that type of environment?
1: I think that you have to really help people understand and help them feel valued. Everybody wants to do a good job. Everybody wants to feel valued. And everybody wants to be able to contribute. How many times have you heard people say, I have more to give to this company, but they won't let me. They won't. They won't let me be. You know, uh, speak my mind, or they won't let me try something new. And so, really, having the opportunity for somebody to to come in to your organization and say, I. I understand my role i understand how work how i'm contributing to the bigger whole and i'm allowed and encouraged not just allowed but encouraged to do my best work every day and then recognized for it i mean to me that is what what it's all about and every day i went to work i felt that way and if i felt that way why didn't everybody else in my organization feel that way and that's what i was trying to create from a leadership perspective, is if I really felt I could do the best work every day, how can everyone else in my organization come with that same thought and that same feeling? And what if we had that organization aligned? What could we accomplish?
0: Yeah, and and Sue, I love your passion around the 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 topic of uh, organizational culture and organizational health, and 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 the connection between results and and a healthy culture. Um there the you know in our work um as as coaches um there there is such a visible connection in in my observation between a great culture and great results it's hard to maintain great results uh, sustain great productivity if the culture doesn't feed that and allow that individual to thrive um, you said it so well, and, and and I agree. I'm curious, Sue. Who who impacted you as a leader? Um, you know, who are the the people uh, that really uh, help shape you as a leader and help help you create your own philosophy of leadership? Who are who are the impactful people uh, in your career and life?
1: Yeah, that's uh, it's it's fun to reflect on on those people that have helped you in both a positive way and in a negative way. You know, there's been leaders that I say, oh, I want to emulate that person. And other leaders, I say, I don't ever want to treat somebody like that. I'm learning that that's not the right thing to do. So, you know, names of people. My dad certainly was a a leader that I looked up to. He always told me, Susan, make a decision. Because if you don't, some a decision will be made for you. So I really, I really, uh, you know, credit my dad, and then an early refinery manager that I had, um, Dale Choate in uh, New Jersey. He just he was just powerful in a very quiet, unassuming way you listened to him. He was very thoughtful, very encouraging. And every time he was actually a, sort of a mentor to me, I would, I, you know, he. I worked in his organization for a number of years. And then for about at least five or six years afterwards, every year they would come together, the refinery management would come together and talk about positions for people and their future. And every time he would seek me out and say, I've heard good things about you. Keep doing good stuff. We're really looking at you. I'm so proud of you. And it's, you know, that one person just really spurred me on. And what happened was I didn't get a a refinery manager position with that organization, but I did with another one. I looked him up in New Jersey. I called him. I said, Dale. I'm. This is Sue. I'm just telling you. I finally got that refinery man, and she said, "I'm so proud of you. I knew you could do it." And just it was, you know, again, just that one person that just had that faith in me, and I didn't want to disappoint him, and I knew I could do it, and he did too.
0: Yeah, that's so powerful. Uh, when you consider that, you know, as leaders, we, uh, for some people, we can be that one person. You know that we have that capability to be the one person. That they don't want to disappoint, and and there's a reality to that. It doesn't work on everybody, but there's a reality that that really good people, um, people who are, as you noted, striving to do their best. Uh, if they're being well treated and and encouraged and nourished and cared for, and yes, uh, you know, uh, when needed, uh, realigned and and uh, even corrected uh, as needed. They don't want to disappoint their leader. It's not about uh, it's not all about rewards and punishments by any stretch. It's more about that aspect of of, you know, just like Dale. Uh, hey, I didn't want to let him down because of his belief in me. Um, right. so
1: relationships are so powerful as a leader it's it's about those relationships it's not about what you know a person can do for you it's about how you support and encourage others i have another story i had a an operator you know i'm the refinery manager and this is an operator who's you know four or five levels uh, below me, and they always looked at the refiner manager as the manager, and you could, you know, you were, you were it. And uh, he did something really good. I heard about it. I just wrote him a little email. It took me not even thirty seconds. He wrote me back. He said, "I never have gotten an email from the plant manager before." I'm going to take this home. I'm going to show my family. I made this man's week a month. He was just so excited that he got recognized. It's, a leader is so powerful in what they can, how they can. Create that environment for people to just want to do so much
0: more. Right on. So you know when our kids are little and they uh, receive a, a some uh, a nice feedback, usually a smiley face or a grade on something. A lot of times they'll bring it home and it might even find its way on the refrigerator for mm-hmm. for a day or two. And I've observed just like that gentleman was saying to you, as adults we still appreciate a sincere word. Of gratitude and appreciation, a thoughtful uh, uh, note that just says, "Hey, thank you for what you're doing and how well you did it. You know, you make us better. way to go. um you know, as adults, we've not outgrown that we we still respond to that. I think that's just in our being, so you bet. Out, outstanding. you mentioned relationships. What else do you see as the separators between the most effective leaders? And that next tier of leaders, you know, the the most impactful leaders likely do some things consistently that are not as consistent in others. Relationships, you noted. What else?
1: Listening, being in the field with people, not just staying in an office or on the other end of a computer screen, actually getting out and physically being with people seeing their environment, you know, listening to what they're dealing with, helping them break down barriers. You know, it could be just something simple like a chair. So you think a chair shouldn't be a big deal. Well, to an operator, a plant operator, a refinery operator, who sits in a chair you know 12 hours a day that's an important tool for them and what they used to get is they used to get the broken down office chairs from the from the from the head office where you know it was the the big wigs were done with this now we get this no give them the tools they need they need an adjustable chair they're different height heights and sizes and things so it's really understanding the needs of the people that you're working with and what will be important to them so that they can do the best job for you. Um, So, you know, those kind of things and just showing people that you care I knew every operator's name, every mechanic's name in the refinery. A lot of times I knew their situation with a, with a spouse or a partner, children. I'd ask about their kids in softball or baseball or, you know, and, and that just didn't, that wasn't because I, I felt I had to. It's because I wanted to. I, they would introduce me in public. I wanted to be able to introduce them in public to my family. And so, you know, just, just really being there and, and you know, as a, as a leader, your role is also strategic to look out for the bigger picture. You know, refining is going through changes. Well, you can't just have a head down and just pay attention. You, as the leader, have to be what's going on in the environment and what are the different things that may be a threat to the refinery and the, all the jobs and those type of things. And so there's a there's an element of care for people, but there's also an element of looking out in the future to make sure that this you know these jobs will be there for the long term. Those type of things.
0: Excellent. Yes, excellent. You know, Sue, so you mentioned the chair. And sometimes we think uh, the separators and great leaders and others are, you know, uh, intelligence or or, or, uh, all the the things that, you know, we look at and say, oh, you know, uh, it's a super gifting or whatever. But I love the reality of, hey, for that person, a quality chair, that tool enabled them to thrive, to be successful, to be better at their job than uh, perhaps anything else you could have given them, um, and so uh, it, it's a great reminder that that um, recognizing what our people need and and doing everything we can to get it for them, and sometimes it's a chair, and I think that's a great reminder. Uh, beautiful, well said. Listening, getting out in the field, you know, Sue. So, um, I'm often struck by um, how common it is. The further someone ascends in an organization, they move up. Uh, The higher they move up, the more likely it is they forget how difficult it is on the front lines. And most of the work is done on the front lines. Whatever the product we produce, the service we provide happens there. And, And yes, there are strategic realities and financial realities and huge responsibilities as you move up, but get out of the office some Get get with the people and watch these people who have great pride in their work do their work uh, on the front lines. Thanks for reminding us of that. Sue, I'm dying to know about what a life adventure coach is. Tell us about it.
1: <laughs> so um, I have had many adventures in my life, and I am very much uh, looked at through a lot of people's eyes about how I've been able to do this with my life. You know, I mean, I'm, like I said, I'm from Lansing, Michigan, you know, chemical engineer, travel the world, do different things. You know, I'm nobody special, but yet I've had so many great experiences and such a rich, wonderful life. And for me, I like to give back to people that opportunity that they themselves can achieve what they want to. And so rather than just being a life coach, I really look at it as, you know, an adventure and and helping people see that they have the capabilities within themselves to create their future. And what I do is I ask them questions they need to know answers to. Um, I share with them my experiences and I basically encourage them. And just like you know, throughout the organization, I, I recognize the good things that they have, and I say, you can do it. And a lot of the people I work with are, are local women, and, you know, they're not quite sure if they want to venture out, but they say, you, you believe in me, and, and you're pretty successful, so maybe it's going to be okay if I try that? And I said, what's the worst that can happen, you know? But then there's an accountability to come back to me that next month. And how did it go? Did it go like you expected? And if it didn't, what do you want to do next? And so really just helping people along their journey to find their true adventures, whether it's relationships or careers or, you know, being able to travel. I had one woman, she, she came to me and she's pretty quiet and reserved. And she said, I want to go to Morocco. And I'm like, okay, for some reason you want to go to Morocco, what's holding you back? And we walked through everything. Finally, she's okay, I'm going to go to Morocco. She came back, I love Morocco. I'm going to get married. I'm like, oh, my God, what did I unleash? You know? She's very happily married now, was living in Morocco. Now they're coming over here. Just It's so incredible to really dig into people to say, you can do this. What's holding you back? You yourself are holding you back, so don't. Go try it, make it happen.
0: I believe in you and I'm proud of you. Yeah. Sue, so I think life adventure coach is the perfect description for what you're doing. That's a great uh, way to describe what you're doing and helping people. And I'm reminded as you shared about your coaching, how powerful it is for leaders to ask questions that sometimes we perceive as leaders, we need to always give the answer. And sometimes the most effective way to help somebody be successful, to learn, mm-hmm. to take their next step is not to give the answer, but to ask a, a, a question that would help move them in that direction. So um, kudos for, for what you're doing uh, with, with uh, your coaching clients and the people that you're, you're helping. I know you work with a number of emerging leaders, uh, among other professionals. What advice would you give an early career professional who aspires to organizational leadership? What would you tell somebody who's just starting out? They're in their first job. They're maybe just a few years in, and they're an individual contributor, and they aspire to organizational leadership. What would you tell them?
1: Two things. Find a mentor or find multiple mentors and do a lot of networking and learning. So let's talk about mentors first. Mentors are people that want to help develop people, give answers, provide information. Um, while you have a supervisor, that's great. But look around the organization. Who really knows what's going on? And you can ask people to be your mentor. And being a mentor and having a mentor, it's about you know about an hour a month. You, you as the mentee, pick the things that you want to know about. And so you just ask to set up time with this mentor. And it could be about different career options. And then somebody else can be your mentor to talk about more technical things. It doesn't have to be one mentor to to feed your whole needs, but find people that can help you and you just stay with them for a few months. You don't have to stay with them for a long time. Basically, you say, hey, I'd I'd like you to be my mentor for a couple of months and see how it goes. I actually have one woman that I've been her mentor for, gosh, now eight years (laughs) because we just really hit it off. And throughout her different activities, my different activities, we just have stayed in touch. And so you might find those relationships, but you also find very short term relationships. So use the organization, use the experience of the people in the organization and network. Find your way to meet other people and learn new things like, okay, I'm in this function in this role. Oh, what's over there? Hey, mm. ask somebody to go out to coffee with you. Hey, tell me about your job. What's that like? What, what what skills and experience do I need to develop to get into that kind of role? People love to talk about their job. So mentoring and networking and most importantly, as you get more senior, get a coach. Coaching, coaches are really cool. Coaches are very helpful. I've had a coach for quite a number of years, and I, I love being a coach. I mean, baseball players have coaches. You know, all these uh, celebrities have coaches. You, as a person, should have a coach, coach and invest in yourself that way.
0: Awesome. So, and a great reminder on the mentoring, um, like you, I've observed it works most effectively when the mentee, takes uh, kind of control of the agenda they come prepared, they know what they want to ask, and then they're they're just tapping into this great resource um, and they're not depending on the mentor to drive the session, so to speak. Um, and that that really is a key piece. Um, I think when when it, when we try to when it goes the other way, usually it's it's pretty short term and kind of loses its fizzle uh, but uh excellent uh, great reminder there. Sue, how do you keep improving? You know, you're full of life, and my guess is you're, you're not finished. Uh, how do you keep improving?
1: Oh, I don't know. I just uh, look around and see where there's need. Uh, I'd like to talk about my uh, experience with early learning, if you, if you don't mind. I basically have been involved with uh, understanding the importance of early learning for our children, a number of years they're the workforce of the future they're also if you invest in children you know when they're birthed to age three to five it's so important through united way i've learned that and in our community we've done studies and many studies across the u.s about how important it is to invest in early learning for children Um, our local community college uh, had a had a fundraiser and said hey sue come on give us some money and i said nope not enough and they said what do you mean and i said your fundraising to provide, um, you know, child support credits and 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 vouchers for kids. We need a facility, and the president said, "Okay, what are you thinking?" And I said, "Well, I'd like to, you know, provide some funding for it, but most importantly, I'd like to provide some leadership to get things going in the community, raise money, write grants, and we raised three million dollars, and we're um, in the process of building an early learning center on the community college campus that will help. Those community college students, which are about 30 years old and have dependents, be able to go to school because their children will be well cared for, as well as the early childhood education students at that college will be able to learn from the activities at the center. And, and we have observation rooms built into the, to the uh, care uh, children's rooms, as well as there'll be interns there. And so it's really going beyond just just saying, hey, somebody should do something. I did something.
0: Yeah, Sue, so you you most certainly did, and and uh, I, I happened to to gain a little bit of insight into this work you've done with early learning, and and uh, I, I want our listeners to know uh, that uh, Sue's name is actually on the outside of the building. Uh, you've been so instrumental in that project and in your community that um, the building is is being named the Sue Krenin, uh Early Learning Center, uh, I believe, if I've got that that correct, and. First, congratulations, and what a challenge and opportunity for all the rest of us to find an area that we believe in to the degree you believe in the early learning for children and to make a difference. And actually, in your case, Sue, leave a legacy in your community that will long outlive you. And so, kudos, way to go. It's an awesome investment uh, in your community and in children. Uh, Sue, just to clarify, early learning is for any child uh, that is prior to school age, so they've not gone to school yet, is that what we consider early learning?
1: Yeah, it's it's generally birth to like age five.
0: Okay, birth to five. Okay, yeah. awesome. So yeah. this is this has been incredible. Uh, you're a delight uh, to speak to. Anything else you'd like to mention today?
1: Uh, you know again, it's all about the power that you have within you you are an amazing person if you really take a chance to 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 look at yourself have others help you like coaches and you know I think with the work that Chuck does the work that I do really can help empower people and uh you gotta just enjoy life every day is a blessing there's no guarantee for tomorrow so enjoy every day and thank you Chuck for the opportunity
0: oh sue so thank you for being on leadership upside this has been such a a privilege to get to speak with you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Leadership Upside, where we discuss what successful business leaders in diverse organizations are doing, saying, and thinking. Today, our guest has been Sue Kreenan. To contact Sue, you can email her at, and I'm going to spell this for everyone, S-G-K-R-I-E-N-E at hotmail.com. Sue Kreenan. Until next time on Leadership Upside, I'm Chuck Carringer. Thanks for listening.
1: Thanks for joining us today. Head over to ChuckCarringer.com for more information.